Hello and welcome to the Always Hope Podcast, a production of Willwood's Faith and Marriage. This is Dr. Mari Sakasa, and I'm just truly grateful that you have joined us today for another amazing episode. Well, just in time for Lent, while we're all trying to discern what are the things that we should be giving up and what are the things we should be improving on, let's talk about how to break those bad habits in life. And so joining me on the show today is Brother Sam Gunn, who is a member of the Brotherhood of Hope, and he was one of my campus ministers when I was in college. I bring Brother Sam onto the show so that we could talk about his new book, Clean Break. We start the show by talking about how each of us actually came to know Jesus and had conversions in college, the mission of the Brotherhood of Hope, the importance of campus ministry, and the types of questions that young adults are asking. We then transition to have an in-depth discussion about his book, Clean Break, which includes the nature of compulsive habits, what the addiction cycle looks like, and specific interventions to break those bad habits. And throughout this show, we actually touch repeatedly on the notion that God's grace is with us even as we are struggling with these vices, that the mystery of his providence allows these things to unfold, and that grace actually is part and parcel for our healing. It's something that we absolutely need. And honestly, why God allows these things to happen in our lives. So this show was recorded back in December of 2021, but I'm launching it here just before Lent. So thank you guys for joining me. When the show is done, if you have a comment or if this episode really does help you in some way, please share it with your friends or family members or check me out on Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn at Dr. Mari Sakasa. Well, let's get into this conversation with Brother Sam Gunn. Brother Sam Gunn, welcome to the Always Hope Podcast. How are you doing today? Very well. Thank you, Mario. It's great to be here. Uh, it is a sincere pleasure to have you on the show, Brother Sam. Um, the audience doesn't know this, but uh, maybe they do. I've, I think I've talked about my conversion before, but uh, but I was a lost freshman at Florida State University, and uh, and and the Lord swooped in and, and transformed my life. And one of the key instruments to that transformation was the Brotherhood of Hope. And so here I stand. Jeez, that was fall of 98. So we're at 23 years now that I've been living my Christian faith and, wow. uh, and, and all in, all, all in, all be because of you guys. I mean, and, and that is a hundred percent of a, a true, true statement, hundred percent true statement. So, uh, so thanks. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, uh, on that note, you know, let's, let's start talking. <laughs> yeah. Wow. <laughs> Where do we go from here? Uh, yeah. I wish I could, I maybe I should share my conversion. I don't know. Let's just share the experience. It was, oh, yeah, please. I don't, yeah. I don't, well, so, okay. That's so let's just, about, just so you know, like there are many things that the brotherhood does, but just that, that moment where the Lord touches a person's life. Yeah. So, so my story, I guess we'll just go right into it. It was great. It was, you know, I was a freshman and at the time I was kind of starting to get into like the party scene and, and I was raised culturally Catholic, uh, being Hispanic, but my parents, I mean, they, they practiced their faith certainly, but it wasn't, it wasn't like a daily kind of lived experience. Um, and so then my freshman year at Florida state started kind of getting into the party stuff and, and I remember like it was it was two weekends in a row that I missed mass. And the reason that I had missed mass was because like I was just out late, you know, partying, you know, and, and having a good time. And and uh, and nothing crazy happened for sure. Although one night it was <laughs> my guardian angel certainly intervened. Um, but that but that's a different story. But then that afternoon, it was like it was like Sunday afternoon. I remember laying in my bed for the first time praying and being like, Lord, like, what am I doing? And uh, and God 
presented himself rather dramatically to me in a vision that um, I don't normally get visions. I don't normally pray this way, but God kind of came to me and was like, just kind of this image of, of a of a of a mountain and being on the side of a mountain cliff. And God was like, you look over the cliff and it was all kind of gray, dark, and and behind me was the mountain itself. And the Lord said, you choose, you know, like you can step off the cliff and and go into the abyss, or you can step back and you know kind of keep going up the mountain. And it, and it became clear to me that that was kind of like the, the the invitation. I was like, all right, you know, if I step off the mountain, is my is my, my my heritage of faith that that's been given to me. Um, and so, so step back, you know, got off the bed and, and went out into the common area and was just kind of, kind of lamenting with my, my roommates that I hadn't gone to mass today. And it's the second weekend in a row. And one of the guys was like, Hey, do you know that there's a 6 PM mass at the church right up the street? And, uh, and that guy was the guy who like, he, he was like the drug dealer of the four of us. You know, he was like the one who sold LST, you know, and stuff. Wow. And he's uh-huh. like, he's the one who tells me to go to church, you know, God uses, and, all, God, God uses all things. And so then I went to mass. And at the end of mass, uh, uh, then CSU president, uh, Martin, um, Macaulay was the last, what's the last name? Macaulay. Yep. Macaulay. It's it gets up and says that there's a retreat this weekend and, uh, and you know, there's still a couple spots available if anybody would like to go. And I was like, that was it. That was my sign. And so I signed up for the retreat that night. I remember going to the, to the, the social hall afterward and brother Jude was there and we were eating sherbet and drinking bad Gatorade, and and I didn't <laughs> and I didn't know a soul at St. Thomas More, uh-huh. <laughs> and uh, signed up for the retreat that weekend, not knowing anybody, and uh, and and that was it, you know. And I knew I knew right away. I mean, my, my life changed that weekend. I experienced the Lord in a profound way, um, and I remember coming home and telling my roommates that like my life is you know fundamentally different, and they thought I was brainwashed and singing kumbaya and joined the cult or something i don't know what they thought uh-huh. but uh but that, that was it and so then uh got my brother um uh brother uh greg who's no longer brother greg uh mm-hmm. is that mm-hmm. uh, my first year and and he kind of mentored me that first year and then brother alan moved in after that and and kind of mm-hmm. took over the, the role so uh so then we had the pleasure of working together when i was on eboard and and uh, serving at csu and all that fun stuff so that was the beginning. That was it. And um, so anyways, just grateful. So thank you. Thank you for all the work that you guys have done. Um, you know, not just not just in my life, but certainly in the lives of, of thousands of college students and the many college campuses that you guys serve. Um, so so really just want to kind of take a moment to, I guess, introduce yourself and, and the audience and the Brotherhood of Hope and, and the type of missions that you guys do. Um, um, I'm sure people would love to just know a little bit more of, of, of what you guys are up to. Sure. So I could say for myself, uh, the, uh, the background that I have is actually, I went to art school in New York City, uh, Parsons School of Design. And interestingly, my freshman year too, God gave me a sort of a wake up call. You need to make a choice mm-hmm. and differently, but uh, similarly, just a powerful life-changing experience. And I think that was where I first encountered the, the, the transition that happens in college where you're no longer under your parents' Uh, roof and just the expectations that go with uh, a faith life that for young people oftentimes is much more about going through the motions. So yeah, that, that moment where you choose it, it really has the power to come a lot because then you, you know, you're activating your baptism and there's so much grace flowing all of a sudden. So the brotherhood, uh, we came out of, uh, really it was a, a parish in Newark where, um, uh, our founder, Father Philip, was a diocesan priest serving with the parish, and the charismatic renewal was really just catching on, uh, really spreading in the church, really like wildfire. 
And so this sleepy urban parish that had been dying really suddenly was very much a, a center of evangelization. And uh, so, yeah, Father Philip was inspired by another group, the Servants of the Word, based in um, uh, Ann Arbor, Michigan, to, uh, to start a brotherhood. And so the, the first circle of brothers uh, just did it on a kind of a provisional basis. But very quickly, it, it became something where the, the life of the brotherhood was this very strong, deep set of relationships, very strong community life. And I really feel like to this day, that's, that's the foundation of everything we do. So we are, um, we're now, uh, I would say we're over 20 members, but it's, it's always kind of a, uh, I just lose track of because <laughs> we got, because we got a lot of guys who, you know, we'll, we'll do like temporary vows or mm-hmm. be associates and candidates. So, uh, I think if you round them all up, we're close to 30, but, uh, but yeah, in terms of the, the various levels. I think what's so awesome, though, is that we're still a strong community, and mm-hmm. you know we'll we'll talk plenty about the mission of the brotherhood, but um, that's really kind of the grace of it. Is really but I think the si- the size of the brotherhood is is significant in that it's not. I think the fact that it is a small community is one of its greater assets, um, because you guys all know each other and mm-hmm. you guys all love each other, and uh, and you you live together, you live in community, you take community seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not just a, a trope or a platitude or something you're supposed to do. It's it's very much part of the call um, to love one another and to live that out. And that was always apparent to me, you know, as even as a student. And then uh, and then all the years I've still been connected with the brothers, you know, have have always seen that. So I, I I've always found that the the size of the the, the order is 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 it's is part of its strength. Mm-hmm. Um, because if it gets too big, then 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 maybe it loses some of that intimacy that can be formed within its members. Um, yeah, I agree. And yeah, there's a real sense that we're coming up on Christmas. We're all together for Christmas, although this year, mm-hmm. for various travel reasons, maybe not. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, wow, yeah, that that joy that the brothers have as we come back together, the ways that when we pray, you know, a brother over here is praying for something with his family. All the brothers know the backstory. You know, mm-hmm. like we're just kind of share our lives very deeply. So there's a real sense in which we're, we're very much a part of each other's lives and each other's families. And that's very attractive. I mean, for somebody who's discerning because uh, unfortunately, and, and I mean this in really in no disrespect, some religious communities do this very well, but, but some don't and some pay lip service to community life or will, or just because it's so big or so fragmented that they can't have the same opportunities to, to grow, you know, in, in, in this degree of intimacy. Um, that again, I think is, is what offers a security because the work that you guys do, we do a lot of evangelization efforts. Um, that's, that's one of the main apostolates, but particularly when it comes to college students, I think that, that, um, working in campus ministry is, is part of the, the, the grace of, of the brotherhood of hope and one of the charisms you guys made campus ministry cool before focus was even a thought, you know, so. uh. (laughs) Well, we kind of got launched at the same time. I got a lot of respect for focus. I know, I know, I know. I'm I'm just messing. Uh messing. No, of course, obviously no one one gets to be killed about the good work that they're doing. Um, Uh But you've been involved in the campus ministry game for, I mean, since the nineties, right? So we're we're 25, 30 years or something. What are we at here? Should I not say that out loud? (laughs) 92 is when I got started. 
Oh, this is, what makes nope. me feel old, I just have to say, is that Mario's son is going into college and it's yeah. just it's vibrating in my brain that I remember him as a freshman and now his son is a freshman. So it's about to be. Yeah, it, that, that does, uh, that, 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 that is bad. Yeah, no, it's just uh -huh. true. It's true. I don't know what to say, but it, but if, I will you say know, this, it happens. It's, it's a delight. It never gets old. I would, you know, I'll, I'll say more about what I'm doing now, but I'm not as directly involved in campus ministry and mm -hmm. wow, I miss it. It's uh, just to see the young generation, to see them doing the same things we did as, as early in our college lives, mm -hmm. just what do I want? And what, mm -hmm. what is the church and what is Christianity and what does faith in Jesus Christ really mean? And so let me, that, let me ask you right there, like where, where do you see, cause you've been doing this for a long time now. So where do you see similarities over kind of the generations of college students that you've ministered with? And where do you see are the biggest changes from maybe college students in 92 compared to now in 2021 or 22, whatever this, whatever your word, whenever this yeah, comes Yeah, it's out. a great question. I would say there's a lot of circumstantial changes. Hmm. Uh, I would say though, I'm very impressed with the fact, you know, I think it's easy when you see how much things are changing to throw out uh, some of the basics. And I, I'm impressed with how much still is consistent, not so much in terms of like the nature of college students, but what they generally are looking for. Um, it's community, it's a sense of purpose. There's a huge thirst for real relationships. Mm -hmm. And in that sense, while we are certainly always trying to overcome the hurdles of, you know, language or just approaches to things, or, you know, obviously there, there, there are different concerns today than there were uh, 30 years ago, but those basic desires are still there. And what I'm very blessed by is we continue to have more or less the same model that we've had from the beginning. It hasn't really undergone a whole lot of changes since when you were involved at Florida State. And there's still really strong response. So I see that really more in, in terms of encouraging anybody involved with evangelization in the church. I honestly sometimes feel overwhelmed by how much I don't know mm -hmm. about the culture of young people. You know, the, the references, the, the way they approach social media, I cannot keep up with all the different types of formats for social media. And yeah, so it's easy to say, well, maybe I'm, I'm out of the game now, or maybe I don't have anything to offer. But I mean, we're seeing that students are still responding and the basic needs are very similar. Yeah, college is a great age in terms of, it, I think you said this before that it's the first time that you really kind of are away from your parents and starting mm -hmm. to formalize what your thoughts are about the things that you've learned and then kind of actualizing them. And so it's really a period of kind of, of vulnerability, certainly, but, but, but creativity, um, kind of coming to decisions about things, setting up life in a certain direction. Mm -hmm. um, so those college years certainly carry a lot of weight in terms of, you know, our lives. And I think about my own life, I mean, those four years were, were the the single the the those four years in college were the most consequential four years of my entire life. When I think about any any four year span of my forty one years of life, like those are the those are the ones because it was then that I found my faith, and then I found my career. I switched from biology to psychology, and that set me up for all the work that I've done career wise. I met mm -hmm. my wife at college, married her right out of college. I mean, so between my faith, my career, and, and my vocation. Um, I mean, that was it, you know? And so I know not everybody gets that type of 
experience, and I know not everybody marries their college sweetheart, any of those things, you know, I, I get all of that for sure. But at least in, in my experience, in, in my history, it was, it was incredibly significant. And so, you know, seeing the value of that and seeing and recognizing that, that yeah, of course, there's a lot of cultural forces at work here, but people are still asking questions. People are still seeking. People are still trying to make sense of their upbringing and, and trying to understand like what the next step is in their life and, and how can they, how can they make these transitions? What do they hold on to? What do they not hold on to? And so being able to have ministers there it, present on college campuses, being able to help these young people ask these questions and guiding them through them, I, I think is a, is a tremendous gift um, that you guys offer. Mm-hmm. And I would say then on the more kind of what has changed side mm-hmm. of the question, uh, I don't think I'm saying anything that's earth shattering here. There's just a lot less of a Christian foundation mm-hmm. uh, for the students coming in, for the culture in general. So there's a lot more you have to kind of backfill. So the initial moment of contact with, with God can still be very powerful. But I would say the big challenge is now we can't assume anything. So you know, really giving them a reorientation to, like, I think maybe 30 years ago, you had to teach them what it means to be Christian. Uh, The challenge now is we have to get on the same page about what it means to be human. Hmm. And uh, so many ideas are out there and so much, you know, pushing in different directions. And so that is quite challenging. Uh, You know, they, the, the people that are coming to us are asking questions that nobody was asking uh, 30 years ago. So in that sense, you know, the good side is we're always being challenged to put the faith and a whole way of life in a winning kind of way, but with clarity, with love uh, and truthfulness. So that's, uh, but I honestly love that. I love that challenge in campus ministry. You're always right there on the cutting edge of what the culture is doing and at least what I find so upbuilding is the gospel always has continues to have a strong answer. They don't always necessarily want to hear it. They're not always ready to hear the whole thing, but there is that kind of, you see when it connects that it still has the same power to really transform lives. Yeah. Amen. You said this, there, there's like a handful of brother Samisms that I've held on to, you know, over, <laughs> over the 20, 24 years or whatever, 23 years here since I've graduated 20 years, I guess, since I've graduated since 2002. And, uh, and, and one of them was, um, you had mentioned cause you're, cause of your advertising background and, and art background that you said, remember like the hardest group to advertise to is, uh, the group that's already tried the product, but that don't like it. And yeah. so, so, so people who've already tried Coke, you can put as many Coke commercials, you know, in front of them as possible. They're not going to drink Coke. And, um, and that's true of anybody's experience. You know, I, I, I'm not a big Chipotle fan. I'm sorry. I guess I don't want to burst anybody's bubble. <laughs> We've been at Chipotle a couple of times. So whenever the commercials come on in a football game, I'm like, ah, okay, whatever. I don't, I'm, I'm, uh-huh. not, I'm not enticed in any way. But the, the, the analogy you were making was with regards to the faith that people who have experienced the faith, the Christian faith, feel that where well, they've experienced some version of it, maybe not the fullness of it, but the version of it that they experienced was enough to turn them off that they feel like it doesn't have the answers that they're looking for anymore. And so the, the greatest challenge with this new evangelization is is or this re-evangelization of the culture is that you're trying to convince a culture that the the type of faith that they experienced wasn't exactly the faith 
as it's understood, um, mm-hmm. or was a, a, a shallow or 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 a pale version of it, and trying to sh- not sell—that's not the right word—but and convince isn't the right word either. But but promote a um, a version of the faith that is that is vibrant, that is full. Um, that that transition is hard because you're trying to say what you thought you had wasn't exactly what it is, and there's more. And so now I want to try to offer you more, but you're not as open to more because the little bit that you had or the the, the shallow version you had isn't good enough. Mm-hmm. Um, so so that challenge, do you find that that's still present now, or do you find that it's something different that like with a culture that's just struggling to even understand what it means to be human, are we even just talking about? Like, does that question go even deeper? I guess is what I'm trying to say. Like, are are we are we even re-evangelizing, or are we just back to straight up just introducing the gospel to people for the first time? Well, I think I agree with with uh, your assessment in terms of. Well, it's yeah, your comment. Sure. I hope you agree I with it. Say, yeah, <laughs> that sounds very familiar. I don't remember the exact wording, but. At this stage of life, it's when people told me, it's like, sounds like something I would say. It sounds like something uh, I would have said. <laughs> yes. But yeah, absolutely. The, uh, the, excuse me, the, um, the way I have heard it said is any established kind of assumption that, you know, Christianity is the, the religion of our culture has gone by the wayside. We really are back to a very apostolic uh, mode, which is difficult because the structures are still there. And so many people think they've actually encountered Catholicism as, as it is, when in fact they've encountered structures with, that are often kind of less than winning in their presentation of the faith. So yeah, that it's both the weakness and the strength that when they come to college, we're able to put, put forward a uh, an environment that's a lot more committed and a lot more dynamic and it can be geared towards young people. So all of those are pluses. I, I, my mind is always going on. How do you engage with somebody who's like that far out mm-hmm. from any contact with Christianity? And, you know, I love, I love the creative stuff I see out there. I, I, I have no idea if it's effective or not, but where I see people responding and, I, and where I see church uh, mission really kind of getting it how hard it is for people to really come into a relationship with Christ, but really in terms of the whole culture of the church. Um, yeah. That, that part of me is always fascinating, but yeah, these are people that feel like they've been there, done that. So it's much harder to uh, even get them to give the first look. Yeah. Amen. Amen. That's the, the way of beauty, of course, and, um, and preaching the truth and in service. I think that the heart of the church and is, is, is all of that. I mean, we, the church has led the way with cultural efforts in regards to, to art and, and music, certainly in the way of sciences and in and, and, and theology, but also in the way of charity. I mean, hospitals, you know, thank you church for that. You know, um, you know people like Mother Teresa, of course, who've dedicated their lives. And I think in this stage of the game, um, my, my money's on that the latter, you know, as a, as a way of entry, you know, reminding people like of, of, the, the virtue of charity and the service aspect of the church. Um, mm-hmm. And not just as like a, you know, not, not just as, a, as, as again, like, it, it, what am I trying to say? Not just like a social injustice endeavor for the sake of it, but that like social responsibility and care for the poor, care for the poorest of the poor is, is part, it's, it's, it's that those corporal works of mercy are, are part of what we're all commanded to do as Christians. And, uh, mm-hmm. and that's a witness to people 
to remind them of, of what it means to serve others. So in Absolutely. that vein, in that vein, let's transition and talk about your book because uh, that's that's how I see it. I'm going to flash it up to the screen here. Here we go. Awesome. Clean mm -hmm. break. Fantastic. Because um, I see that the book is is kind of an outgrowth of that, you know, in terms mm -hmm. of like mm -hmm. being having a pastor's heart, having a shepherd's heart here and, and seeing and hearing these stories with young people and wanting to provide a resource to be able to help them. So what inspired you to write the book, Clean Break? Okay. Uh, so the it flows very naturally from what we've been talking about the uh the experience i had working at florida state and it just so you know it was very formative for me too and it flowed actually out of working so closely with great leaders like yourself and remember the e-board you know the, the executive board teams that we had uh were very gifted and committed students and so even as say we were forming you your insights were forming us so I really always try to give credit to students in general, but especially to the student leaders that serve so generously over the years, because a lot of what we're doing is you would recognize it. You would look at it and be like, oh, okay. I think I remember that conversation actually. Um, <laughs> it's, it's really that, that kind of particular. Uh, but this, the way this came about was I, uh, when I transitioned from Florida State up to Boston, the opportunity to uh, to take some time for studies, but then entered back into campus ministry at Boston University and was there for from 2006 to 2011. Uh, great experience in terms of a very different kind of student group. Uh, they had no time. So, you know, at Florida State, <laughs> you know, we tried to get people during finals week to not get together and you know, not plan events. They did tubing trips, they did everything during finals week. Whereas I get to Boston University and I want to get a meeting with a student and they're like, okay, I have 17 minutes, three weeks from today. So let's do it. So yeah, it was just a very intense, uh, driven kind of environment. Yeah, the difference in the Southern culture versus uh, the Northern culture there, for yeah, sure. Yeah, we'll get into it, but I definitely have my bias. <laughs> anyway, Come so, back yeah. to the South, Brother Sam. Yeah, Come oh, back to the South. It's a lot warmer down breathe. here also than Minneapolis. <laughs> How do I keep winding up in these places? Yeah, so so I, I, uh, so I, the other piece was I was working with a great team, a great staff at Boston University, uh, but they had a lot of the bases covered in terms of the organizational side, in terms of kind of activities, liturgies, things like that. So at first it seemed like a negative, but it turned into a great positive. I had tons of time to meet with students and, you know, you know, the brotherhood, that's really mm -hmm. our, our bread and butter is to, to be face to face, sitting down with students, talking about their lives. And you guys have a very, very generous uh, monthly Starbucks stipend, I'm sure. So. <laughs> we do. <actually. laughs> I, I, I don't want to endorse any particular. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. Sure. I'm gonna bleep that off. I'm sorry to offend anybody, but it's, it's, a, it's right there with Chipotle for you. So. <laughs> there it is. But, um, I'm the dunks guy. Anyway, so yeah, but it's it's a huge blessing just to walk with people, and mm -hmm. that was where I was really, you know, obviously you see students that are very impressive on the outside and mm -hmm. very uh, clear goals for their lives, working hard. But once they trust you, once you peel back the players, there's real suffering and real uh, spiritual difficulties and darkness. So I had the opportunity during that time to walk with students who had uh, addictions to pornography, to um, masturbation, to uh, eating disorders, um, you know, just various kinds of unwanted habits. And, you know, I... I'm not a counselor. I have no training in that. This is this is more like me realizing, okay, well, 
they need help just to understand what's going on. And they also need help to see that their faith has means of helping them to get freedom, but they don't necessarily trust those means or understand exactly how to use them. So I have to admit, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a borrower, a stealer. I'll, I'll steal from different sources to just try to, to, you know, to present to the students what's helpful to them. And uh, so this began literally as drawings on a napkin. Right. Trying to help students see, you know, as you, I'm sure you see as well, it's with any unwanted habit in your life, the focus is the thing. And you assume that that's the issue. And so if you're coming from a faith perspective, you're praying and you're saying, Lord, take this away. And, and you're wrestling with why doesn't God respond? Why doesn't God help? And you can kind of see there's a rut to that that uh, can lead to a real despondency and despair and kind of going deeper into the unwanted habit. So uh, what I saw was to try to help the student to see that this is part of a pattern. So rather than just focused on the sin or the the habitual pattern to say, so there's a whole cycle going on here that, um, that even when you feel like you've come out of it, like you're on the rebound, that even that is part of this cycle and you can use the repetitive nature of it in reverse. So rather than be discouraged by it, you can learn from each time you go through. And really the, the clean break came from that desire to create a structure where in effect, somebody can look back over the pattern of the habit and gain insight. So every fall doesn't have to be like a step down. Mm-hmm. You can actually gain ground by learning from, from past mistakes. Amen. Amen. That's exactly right. And so you, when you say habits, obviously we're not just talking about picking our noses and, and uh, biting our teeth, you know, biting, mm-hmm. biting our fingernails. Like these are more serious uh, sins where uh, it, it is in, in my work with men who have struggled with pornography. Um, it's that knowing the cycle of addiction, knowing the cycle of a fall um, is the first step. Again, it's, it's a helpful step for sure. Um, now there's a lot of course, a lot more than that, but, but it's a, but it's a first step in terms of being able to say, okay, how do we understand? Um, and I think the way you, you break it out in the book is, is beautiful kind of thinking about it as a day mm-hmm. that not necessarily that there is, um, you know, that the pattern follows this day, but just kind of looking at the cycle in four kind of quadrants, you know, the beginning, kind of the, the middle, the, the regression towards a fall, then what happens after a fall. And, uh, and that's pretty, pretty consistent, you know, with what I've seen also in terms of how to kind of conceptualize in the cycle of addiction. Um, and the reason that that's helpful is because it, it allows for different points of, of, of intervention, um, whether, so you're not just fixating on, on the moment itself, because the moment itself, the temptation might be too strong at that point. Like you might, you, you might have already crossed the point of no return. Um, the way I've heard it explained, I know you, you, you referenced Patrick Carnes uh, in, in the book. He uses the analogy of a boulder that uh, it's a lot easier to stop the boulder at the top of the hill than it is at the bottom of it. And so if you're waiting till the moment right before, um, you know, whatever the habit is that, that you're about to succumb to the temptation, then, then, uh, then you, you've waited too far. And so knowing what your rituals are, knowing what the things are that lead, knowing what the underlying motivations are, understanding what triggers you, um, where, what, what leads you towards the negative emotions that, that you're trying to satiate through, through this pattern, through this, through this habituated act. Um, understanding that is all part of the experience, that it's not just about the thing itself, 
but it's also about understanding the full context of 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 what's happening. Mm-hmm. And and that is, of course, you know, AA circles, addiction circles, you know, this is why you have 12 steps and and you have mentors and you try to hit this thing from so many different angles. Because everybody understands that when these deeply ingrained patterns are are established, um, the reason that the the word is a vice is because it's that's the right word. It's it's a grip. It's it's something that 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 holds tight, um, and it's and it's hard to let go of. Um, and so it is. It's like this vice grip that that happens. And so, uh, yes, praying of course is important in 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 also growing. And but then but the biggest piece of it is being patient with yourself and allowing. To yourself to see, as they as they say in the dictionary in the AA circles, you know, not not just not just perfection, but we but we aim for progress. You know, mm-hmm. it's the journey, it's it's the process. The process is what matters here, and as long as you're engaging in the process, then the results will come in their due time. Um, mm-hmm. So, anything else? What what, what, do, what, um, do, what, do, what do you want to go <laughs> talk about the cycle? Okay. <laughs> yeah. So I would say the the insight that I gained as I watched. Uh, you know, students in, uh, say, at Boston University, and certainly also when I was after after that, I was at Northeastern. Uh, what I saw, and I have, I still don't have the adequate words to describe this, but it was kind of, you know, the student obviously is so focused on this mm-hmm. thing they want out of their lives, mm-hmm. and yet what I saw was the student's transformation, not apart from this cycle but that the Lord, in terms of them not giving up, in terms of them continuing to, to struggle. So I'm going to stop here because this is a quote that you have from the book specifically, sure. and, and you're hitting at it. So let's just kind of jump into this. The, the line is, the father not only saves us from sin, but he also saves us by our sin. Mm-hmm. What did you mean by that? Yeah. So I obviously don't mean that, uh, you know, let us sin more so that grace may abound. Uh, <laughs> you know, you're walking a fine line here, but more like, you know, when you actually get in the trenches with sin and with the devil, uh, what you realize is you're not alone. Like God is right there in there with you and he's training you. And, you know, it really is like a father, you know, fathering you into faithfulness. And there really is a sense in which, uh, like, I cannot think of a better way to learn mercy than to have to face and fight a habitual sin mm-hmm. because you land on your face. You have to get up. You can't presume on mercy because, okay, if you, if you check out or if you go into cruise control, it's going to eat your life, whatever this thing is, it's really going to take more and more and more of the things that matter to you. So you have to fight, but in that you're always brought back to the fact that the father is there, that you can repent, that Jesus beats you with the grace and and even the sense of like, oh, okay, like, you know, common temptation is, well, I need to get this in a good place and then I can reestablish a relationship with mm-hmm. God. Mm-hmm. Like it blows that up when you realize, no, it is by this very cycle and struggle that my relationship with God and especially my understanding of the power of his mercy is growing in me. So you're not losing ground. In fact, you're gaining ground. And that's what I saw. And, you know, I would say this to the students and they're like, eh, it's your job to say this, you know? <laughs> But, but the I catechism says that I'm to mortal yeah. sin and I'm separated <laughs> from God every time I fall into this. Yeah. And, and, you know, I'm a, I'm a Bible geek. So right. in my mind, I'm like, well, do you realize that so much of the old Testament came together while the Israelites were in exile? You know, like they had That's... totally blown it. They had totally kind of lost everything they thought. 
That's your and Baptist yeah. background coming out. That's uh... oh, yes. <laughs> but yeah, it's like right there. You see how like, okay, separated from God, but God is at work. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to diminish the necessity of being reestablished in God, especially through confession. But wow, like the power that he is always calling us back. And, and there's so much good that is happening as we're honestly trying to, to just meet that struggle every day. Uh, man, preach it, preach it, brother Sam. Because mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, obviously, like I, I'm not a moral theologian, and so I'm really not smart enough to be able to make distinctions in terms of like the behaviors and what all classifies mortal sin, and and when are we at the at what point are we in fact separated from God when we've committed a transgression? So I don't I don't have an answer for that. I mean, I know obviously habituated sin, and 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 I know the Catechism does say that when there is an addiction culpability is mitigated so like mm-hmm. the, the gravity mm-hmm. of the sin of course is where the effect of it i guess is lessened to some degree but in my experience is much similar to yours which is that um and not to diminish of course because sin is sin man like an habituated sin has real consequences so we're talking mm-hmm. about sex addiction and and uh you know all sorts of things there there's real there's real effects of of, of these behaviors but at the same time like if if what you're saying is that if you if if it's only about the cessation of the behavior then then it's almost not enough it's it's got to be it's always got to be relational and i think Mm -hmm. that's the key here that it's not just about getting this thing getting rid of this thing because what ends up happening when that is that that triggers anxiety that triggers shame and when those things get get triggered we know that perfectionism they're just it's not a bad it's a it's a bad corollary you know when we become overly fixated on on one particular thing um we make it we make it too big of an issue too big of a deal for us to be able to to stop mm-hmm. now again I'm not making light of it. I want people, of course, to stop regular habituated sin. I've done many episodes on, with pornography and things of that nature. Certainly, we want to help. But but this is where the language, there's a lot of research right now that that circles around the, the notion of self-compassion and, so, and, and empathy. This is Brene Brown's you know, bread and butter. We're talking about how we should be gentle with ourselves. And, and the addictions literature supports all of that when it comes to your own personal recovery. Hey everybody, this is Dr. Mario Sacasa. I'm just taking a quick break here from my conversation with Brother Sam to encourage you to check out Dating Well. It is out. This is my online program, online masterclass on dating. It is 19 lessons that takes you from the beginning of a relationship all the way to the end. There are lots of questions that people have when they are dating, and I try my best to answer just the vast majority of them. When should you start talking about your past? When is it time to commit? How should you start praying together? What should discernment look like? How to navigate dating apps? When should we talk about pornography? And how do I know if it's impacting my relationship too much? Etc. 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 This is the course for you if you are a dating couple right now and you're looking for some guidance to know how to navigate this stage in your relationship, it will help you out. If you're a single person who wants to be better prepared for the next relationship, this will help you out also. So please check it out. Go to faithinmarriage.org. Click on the resources tab. You'll see dating well there. You can access it. And in the first, the, the lesson three, excuse me, is available for free through the platform that we have used. And so if you want to look at lesson three to check it out for yourself, please go ahead and do that. But check it out at faithinmarriage.org. Yeah, and maybe going back to the uh, 
the cycle itself. And this is a, a great insight that Patrick Carnes uh, mm -hmm. offers. Uh, this whole idea that at the center of this cycle is sort of a core of, of lies that the whole pattern of the cycle is trying to reinforce. And this introduces a whole spiritual battle aspect mm -hmm. that there's this shame and that's the night and day is kind of the daytime is, okay, I can be presentable during this time, but at night I'm in this, the dark part of the cycle and there's a lot of shame attached to it. So yeah, in that point, whenever it is that you realize, okay, this is bad what I'm doing, the immediate temptation is shame on me and I'm a bad person. Mm -hmm. And so that power of grace to be able to speak into those very moments and say, you're a beloved daughter, you're a beloved son. And to stand in the power of that is similar to what you're saying. It, it doesn't diminish the sin, but it renews the sense of God's faithfulness that, you know, separation from God, mortal sin does not mean, however, yeah, I don't either know how to parse that, but that ultimately God is still very much at work and I'm still very much, very close to the Lord especially in whatever way I'm still trying, you know, that's, that's the key. If the will is engaged, even mm -hmm. to the, even as, as mixed up as our wills can be uh, to the point that, that we really are trying. Um, yeah. He's going to meet us there every time. Cause really that's his grace giving us the will to try. Yeah. And so back to when you're talking about like the spiritual journey and how God uses this, you know, not just save us from our sin, but, but by our sin, when I worked with, and I found this very clearly with the men that I worked with that were seminarians that 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 had habitual pornography use and, and struggled with that specifically, that when I was meeting with them, I would say often that like, you know, you're, you're overcoming this is what's going to make you a great confessor because yep. you understand the power of mercy more than others. And you will have a, a very keen heart um, to be uh, a, a great confessor. Um, you know, because of because of the work that you've done here. So in in this, that's one piece of it. But the other piece is also when we think of any of us in, in, in any of our lives, concupiscence manifests itself differently for every single one of us. And so we all have a particular pool or or the, the alignment's off somewhere, you know, like just like driving a car. That's what we think of concupiscence. Yeah. A car's always kind of it's kind of it always wants to pull in a certain direction where we're kind of yeah. always kind of working against it a little bit. And so yeah. whatever that pull is, it it looks a little differently for every single one of us. So for some of us, it might be spending a little bit too much time on YouTube, you know, and it's pulling in that direction, or uh, or it might be something sexual, and we're we're pulling too much in that direction, or you're eating, or gossiping, or pick any one of the seven capital vices, you know, vanity, pride, any of those things. Um, and so the 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 process of getting the car in alignment so to speak is the process of of of, of is is the path of holiness like yep. it is it is it is the work that you put into it and again not just pelagian but in terms of grace operating within you to be able to give you the 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 the, the, the sustenance the energy that's needed uh, and the wisdom that's needed to be able to kind of get this car running straight um mm -hmm. and on the straight and narrow path that process is is something that every Christian has to has to work with if we're being honest with what's happening inside of our heart. Now, if we just want to be superficial or we're just only going to kind of pay attention to the external veneer of things, okay, I would encourage that. But if we're taking their faith seriously and we're engaging with the material in a way that forces us to be able to say, okay, I'm a little bit out of alignment in this in, in this area. And that and God recognizes that. So that 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 work that we do towards that is 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 that that is the that is the work of salvation yeah. like that is the work of holiness like that is that is the thing that we have to do so if god presents this particular sin in our lives 
It's not that we 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 rejoice over it, but we rejoice in the fact that God is going to give us the grace to be able to overcome this. And the process mm -hmm. of overcoming it is is precisely the way um, that that we will become the saints that God wants us to be. Amen. Very well said. And you know, I mean, I think particularly with Boston experience, you know, you get these young people that want to rock the world, which I think is awesome. Mm -hmm. uh, but there is so much of the self in there, and. The way I would say it to some of the students was, well, you may be miserable about this habit, but if you didn't have it, you would be intolerable, you know, because, <laughs> you know, they, they come in as superheroes and they, and they really believe that they got it all together. And this is something that brings them back to acknowledging, you know, the way I say it in the book is that humility is short for human inability. Mm -hmm. And that, that insight, it's in the 12 steps, you know, that, that sense of like, okay, Lord, apart from you, I cannot. I cannot really handle this. And that's not a passive throw your hands up kind of thing. It's more like, all right, I just, I'm going to do my part, but Lord, you've got to make up the difference and let's do this together. Well, Teresa of Avila says that sometimes God allows us to experience, you know, succumb to, to lesser sins to prevent mm -hmm. us from succumbing to larger sins. And yeah. so sometimes the fight fire with fire fight fire. <laughs> well, I mean, like the, 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 there, and there's a level when we talk about the seven, the seven capital vices and at the mm -hmm. bottom it's, it's gluttony and the fleshy stuff, but at the top it's, it's pride and right underneath yeah. pride is vanity. And so mm -hmm. like those are, and then envy right underneath that and wrath. And so these are, those are a lot harder to, to overcome, um, mm -hmm. than, than, than some of the unwanted habits and things that we're speaking about here. So mm -hmm. if it is that, 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 a, sometimes these things bring about a sense of humility and a reminder that as awesome as we are, we're not perfect. So if that's the case, then okay. But the second piece is that if it also reminds us that without God, we can't overcome this, then humility kind of works in both fronts there, which is not, again, not to flog ourselves, but just to have a, a, an honest assessment of what our capacities are and what our limitations are. Mm -hmm. um, and so you speak about in the book, the five freedom virtues, um, and, and it's humility, trust, fortitude, detachment, and patience. Um, what would you like to say about those virtues particularly? Why those? Well, I think, you know, you could, some of the virtues that um, we're probably more familiar with, let's say faith, hope, and love, or, you know, prudence, prudence justice, uh, yeah, courage. Yeah, like there's, there's a... Um, <laughs> Those are easy ones to sell. I mean, in a certain way, it's, it, they point to goods that are very clear and positive. And I don't think temperance is easy to sell. I'm just going to be honest. <laughs> uh, okay, you got burned a few times. And then by my age, I'm buying it. Yeah, yeah you're <laughs> fine. You're like, I need a donut anymore. I know what that does to me. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, there's these other virtues that honestly are hard to sell. Humility right. is top of the list. Um, but, you know, detachment really, you know, if we understand it correctly as the opposite of attachment, meaning, right. you know, these things that I get so hooked on that I can't be happy without them. Uh, and, uh, you know, trust, you know, all of these are almost, I don't want to use the word the wrong way, but they're almost passive virtues in the sense that they're one more by the way you respond to situations rather than the positive actions that you necessarily take. Uh, it's, it's things that you gain in, in your life experience. And I, I don't say that in the sense of like, um, yeah, you still have to engage your will. But, um, uh, but the reason those in particular is each of them kind of highlight a different kind of key trait that corresponds with the different stages of the cycle as I've laid it out in the book. So, you know, the, 
the opening parts, this would be the morning portion of the cycle. Mm -hmm. And again, like you said very well, these are not 24 hour days, but more just kind of patterns you notice through self-reflection, kind of where your mind is at. Uh, there's the sense of kind of like, okay, things are good. I'm good. Life is good. But it does, it kind of rises to pride. So that's why I call it kind of elation. Um, I can only speak for myself. I just get puffed up, you know, you know I get, I'm, I'm pretty good. I'm on, you know, my awesomeness. So yeah, the, you, you get to a point and you only with hindsight, you realize I'm getting set up here, you know, mm -hmm. like when the bubble bursts, this is going to be unpleasant. So right up until that point, you know, that sense of humility is okay. I have a lot of graces and I can rejoice in those, but I know where they come from. They come from the Lord and I can give thanks and praise to the Lord. And then I'm, I'm, it's fine to be, happy with the things that are good about me, mm -hmm. but it's kind of in that context. So humility is key for that time. So when you get to the, um, say the afternoon, uh, really there, there's, there's kind of the, the sense that if I take a turn for the worst, I need a community, or at least I need somebody that knows me that I trust that I can just say, Hey, pray for me, or, you know, just reach out to get some encouragement or, you know, however you can find that support. And most of us, have something like that. Maybe we do it without even realizing we do it. But really that element of trust is so key because you have to be able to be real with some, a few folks. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, the, um, the particularly as, as the bolder image is very real, that, that moment where you go to the turn where it's going from the after, late afternoon to night and there's kind of this fog that sets in. Um, yeah, you just need fortitude. You need that, mm -hmm. that willingness to hang in there you know um and then as you uh as you deal with the actual um you know the sin itself and again uh patrick Carnes is, is really good about saying like there's a mindset that says i need this to be happy you know mm -hmm. i cannot be happy without it and so detachment is really the opposite of that to say i i just need god you know and he'll bring me what i need and that's an ongoing process to learn uh, and then, it, and, you know, the really say after the sin pattern has kind of played itself out, there's a certain satiation that goes with that. And then what follows is sort of can easily fall into a very dark self-condemnation place, mm -hmm. which in, in the book is really saying that's, that's where the evil one loves to tap dance on you and really kind of bring you down to a low place. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's where it really, it calls, calls on you to, uh, yeah, to lift your heart to the Lord, um, to put your trust in him more. Um, yeah. So it's, yeah, it's the perseverance. It's okay. Uh, we can do this together. Amen. Amen. And so the, the, the virtues are beautiful in terms of like recognition that virtue obviously is a firm disposition towards the good. It's a habituated good. It's a habituated mm -hmm. action. Mm -hmm. And so growing in any one of these, again, just, just takes time, you know, yep. and yep. takes time to be able to say, okay, well, let me just kind of fix Again, thinking about this as a cycle and recognizing that there's a lot of points of intervention, you know, maybe it's to focus on growing in humility, or maybe it's to focus on growing in trust. Maybe it's to focus on growing on fortitude. Maybe it's time to focus on detachment or patience. And so it's not that you have to work on all five of them at the same time or say, we're going to kind of do a blitzkrieg. I'm just going to do it all right now. And all I need is, you know, uh, 120 days and just kind of drinking water, you know, and eating bread and, and that's mm -hmm. going to be enough. Um, that it's, it, 
it, certainly something like that can jumpstart it, but but it does take time in terms of being able to say, then you need you need more just again acceptance, patience, trust, um, being a little strategic about you know where to begin kind of this process. So not feeling overwhelmed, you know, or feeling like if you try to do too much too soon, that if you don't succeed in any one of them, then you set yourself up for failure because then your perfectionism kind of kicks in again. And mm-hmm. I think that's that's a deeper issue. Now with regards to the question about uh, the the virtue of detachment, um, you're right certainly in the sense that like you know being able to submit and surrender to God and, and trusting in His providence in these moments. But sometimes I think that truthfully I feel like that sometimes it can be a little too abstract for people. You know, just that is a simple notion that our work, my work in terms of counseling, is to try to uncover what maybe some of those deeper desires are and where these things have kind of gone astray. And so being able to say. Well, are there ways of being able to find uh, other material things that might, you know, satiate the, the the hunger to some degree? Now, again, it's not apples to apples. Huh? You know, if you're struggling with the throes of pornography and masturbation, you know, I don't know, going and eating a sandwich just isn't going to give you the same dopamine hit. You know, like it's not. Let's just be honest, right? Like, and, and so. So, but but recognizing that there has to be that transition point of of saying, okay, like it it isn't going to give you the same high, um, but that's kind of the point. And when you give yourself that space to reset, see, some of us that we're just so saturated with screens and devices, and that we don't we don't know how to sit with our with our our longing anymore. We we as a culture, we don't know how to just embrace um, discomfort. Um, I've joked about this before with with friends. It's like you know Ignatius of Loyola, his great story of of the cannonball moment of being in the hospital, and this is his conversion because he was literally bored, and all he had was two books, the Bible and the Book of the Saints. If Ignatius lived in 2021, he would have been on TikTok or YouTube or whatever in the hospital. He wouldn't have been bored enough to have uh-huh. like engaged with the questions and, and and been converted. You know what I mean? Very good point. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. so 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 it's it's across the board that that we. We, we, we struggle in being able to just let go in, in, in let go of distractions, um, allow ourselves to just experience those deeper emotions in allowing them to be present, um, in, in giving them space. And, and that's part of the detachment process is that it's not just detachment for the sake of giving it up for the sake, just because it's, it's, you're giving something up because there's a promise of a better way. There's a promise of a, of a greater freedom that's afforded. And we see this, of course, even with all the mindfulness research that people who, who incorporate mindfulness practices and, and are able to center and, and have greater focus, they're, they're able to regulate their dopamine levels a little bit better. They're able to regulate distractions a little bit better um, because they've achieved kind of, not achieved, but have developed some type of practice or virtue in being able to, to cultivate uh, greater uh, you know, separation from those desires. Exactly. Ignatius, if he were around today, would have been completely distracted by screen time, uh, probably would not have had all the insights he did about spiritual consolations and desolations. But yeah, I would say, um, you know, that ability to, to, to recognize the, the thing behind the thing, you know, is really at the heart of what Clean Break is about, you know, and it will be a lifetime's worth of understanding self-reflection. But what are those deeper needs, you know, that that we don't often recognize are operative in our lives. And this thing that I reach out to, it gives me some relief from whatever is that underlying issue. But uh, yeah, to realize that the sin itself is more a treating a, a symptom 
rather than than what's really going on. And as you grow in the spiritual life, it is remarkable how the Lord can show to, show us what our real attachments are and how those are very operative in terms of what we're motivated to go after and and the ruts that we get ourselves into along the way. Amen. Amen. That's exactly right. So, all right. So breaking the bad habits process here. Um, you mm -hmm. said you, you got to do my part and that, that's classic, classic brother Sam. I was like, this is, Acronyms, this is, yes. this is him. <laughs> this is him through and through. Uh, you said this, that this was, there was another part that made me laugh here. Hold on a second. If I can find this after you finish explaining kind of the, the cycle and the different things, mm -hmm. um, before we move into the, 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 your part of it, you said, uh, tired of this yet? Uh, if not, this workbook probably won't help. You know, so just this <laughs> <laughs> kind of the, the recognition that if you don't, if if you're not tired of it, you know, it's that the whole you got to be sick and tired of being sick and tired. You know, and yep. if and if you're not if you're not ready, and and that that of course into the psychological literature fits perfectly. You know, with mm -hmm. um, you know the pre-contemplation and contemplation before you even get to preparation. Mm -hmm. um, before you even get to action, you know, the stages of change, um, mm -hmm. Prochaska's model there. So the, 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 the need for, for recognizing that something has to be changed and, and mm -hmm. that's where the conscious needs to be engaged, that there's something that I'm doing that I shouldn't be doing. And, and let me pay attention to that. So pay attention to that, but then you certainly have your part to do. Uh, mm -hmm. so, so what's your part? What's our part? What is P-A-R-T? Yeah. So the, the analogy that I use is kind of like, uh, you know, like a football player, a quarterback is going to go back on Monday and watch film of the game and, and learn from it and keep improving their strategy. So yeah, you do need to be engaged. And that was the, the bump in the road I put there is that somebody who's just casually reading this, it's not going to help them unless, unless they're really willing to kind of take some action. So the point is to give some really pr practical tools to engage with this and, and even getting very specific in terms of, well, what kinds of you know, you, so the part stands for prayer, accountability, reconciliation, and something called training in truth. And when especially you look at prayer, it's it's easy to just kind of make that a generic thing. Okay, Lord, help me not to fall into this thing again. But the idea is that wherever you are in the cycle, there's particular prayers that that you know you can use any prayer anytime. But there's mm -hmm. certain prayers that put you in a good frame of mind for receiving the Lord's grace. So I mentioned before, if it's humility, if it's the morning where the elation is going on, that act of humility, which is just praising God and thanking God for the gifts that you have, is a strong way to pray. So the idea of, of this part of the book is come up with some, some strategy for each of these four components. And you know, wherever you're at, try to make take a good next step. So uh you know, prayer in terms of, okay, maybe it's more that when I'm in a temptation mode, that's when I really have to call on God. And it doesn't have to be complicated. It could be a simple prayer. There's something called the Jesus prayer that's put in there for Jesus, son of God and mercy on me, a sinner, you know, something like that, that just, you can say it repetitively in your head, but it's turning to the Lord rather than turning to the sin. Um, so that's kind of the idea is there's other prayer kind of approaches proposed for each of the stages you don't have to be super dialed into what stage you're in, mm -hmm. but it's kind of more like just the, 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 the street smarts to know, okay, this is, this is going to, this is where I'm at, or at least this is kind of what I think the spirit is doing right now. I want to be able to respond. So you come up with your game plan for prayer uh, and then accountability. You come up with a game plan for, okay, how will I ask somebody either to pray for me 
or even to have the green light in my life to be able to say, hey, how are you doing with this? And obviously you need somebody who's converted, that you trust, somebody who, who knows you uh, well enough to kind of know the line between, you know, supportive and kind of pushy. Uh, but yeah, pray for that person in your life that you can open up to. It could be a family member, it could be a spouse, uh, it could be a, a friend from a, a men's group, a women's group, something like that. Uh, the reconciliation piece is, uh, you know, obviously as with so much that is repetitive, I'd say the biggest challenge is to make good use in an ongoing way of the grace of confession, mm-hmm. because there is such a temptation to just say, well, it's not working, obviously, or to just be embarrassed. You know, if I'm going back and saying the same things over and over again, that kind of to renew a sense of reconciliation is just, it is part of the package and it is a powerful means of the grace of God being reopened, the channels of grace being reopened in my life. Uh, and so it gets very practical in that stage of the book, just trying to troubleshoot any of the, the kinds of myths or misunderstandings around confession that are out there. Uh, and the last piece, Training with Truth, and this goes back to my Baptist background, uh, is I really do believe that scripture memorization, and it doesn't have to be a ton, mm-hmm. but just certain strategic passages are essential for just being able to know how to respond in certain points of the, the temptation cycle and the sin cycle. So uh, yeah, there, there is some recommended there for each of the various uh, parts of the cycle and then kind of particular areas if you struggle with this attitude or this lie mm-hmm. that here is something you can call to mind. And, and even just making people aware through your baptism, you do have authority over the enemy. And to whatever extent a lie is his device for getting you to trip up, that you can claim authority over that. You can say, I renounce this lie in Jesus' name. And the name of Jesus is powerful and it does give real freedom. So it tries to put that last section of the, the book really tries to put very practical uh, form to everything that has led mm-hmm. up to it so that a person can begin this process of gaining wisdom, learning tactical strategies, and then learning as you go, adjusting, improving, taking things off, putting things on to, to have a consistent pattern to fight. And maybe one last thing to add there. Sure. Uh, you know, I think for all of us, there's this temptation that it's like, okay, well, I'll get to a point where I'm past it. Mm-hmm. And it's really been my experience instead that what the Lord is really interested in is forming us in the mindset and the modes of knowing what to do about sin, because mm-hmm. it comes up in all kinds of ways in our lives. And so it, I find that there, there is going to be times where you can fall back into maybe not as bad as it's been before, but even if you come to daylight, even if you come to a place where it's like, okay, this is no longer uh, such a big factor in my life, there will be seasons where you could lapse back. And part of the idea here is don't get thrown off by that. Mm-hmm. Like there again, you can reestablish those same habits. They're there. It's kind of like a, a you know, a resistance to a, a virus is it's still there somewhere in your system and you can reactivate what you've learned and you can continue to apply it forward. So there's that piece as well. It's like, yes, you do have through this PART strategy, the ability to get free. But even if you fall back, that strategy itself is kind of like a strong continued defense against what you're dealing with. Amen. Amen. Absolutely. And again, seeing it holistically, recognizing that it's not just you know, the prayer alone isn't going to be the thing, but 
seeing, okay, how you get a game plan in terms of when you're on the cycle, which prayer to incorporate when, or if you're seeking accountability, kind of knowing exactly what that's going to look like, having the game plan put together some point before, you know, the moment of temptation. And I think that's when we talk about like what we have control over, it's those things. Like we have control over watching film, like you said, on, on Monday morning. And okay, after we fall, how do we engage with it? Do we let shame overcome us or do we do are we humble enough to actually take take the moment to to engage with the process um, mm-hmm. so that we can kind of learn? And similar then when it comes to seeking the sacrament of reconciliation, which I would say to anybody who struggles with a habitual sin, that is your greatest defense. Um, and even if you don't feel anything or if you don't feel like it's working, it's it's it it, it the prayers um, that you offer because the promises afterwards is what you say in the act of contrition is you know is give me the grace not just to sin no more but 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 to, you know it, well it is that certainly you know to to sin no more and so we we believe that those prayers are, are real that's not just mm-hmm. forgiveness of the sin that was committed but also a promise and a prayer to move forward and saying, okay, I, I, I desire this, but it's not a magic trick. It's not like it's just gonna, like we've said, been saying the whole time that that this growth over victory of these habits is part of your journey in holiness. And so God's not gonna shortchange anything or short circuit anything or a path that he's laid before you um, that's gonna make you a better person. And so it's this journey that as it unfolds and as you're patient with it, but still availing yourself to receive all the graces that God wants to give along the way, it's it's this kind of combo that moves you and and, and, and moves you forward. Um, and so then just, and then same thing, you know, just in terms of the training in truth and, and recognizing that, you know, not just the, the certainly the lies of, of the enemy, the, but, but the particular ways that shame manifests in your life, I think, is 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 a key component to this. Um, and so, you know, if I have to say, if I have to offer one critique, if I can, you know, of of sure. of the text here is is I know at the end you kind of reference a little bit of the Neil Lozano stuff, and and uh, it kind of gets into in a little bit of that chapter, that this section, I could kind of feel some of that deliverance prayer kind of language kind of coming out. And um, I guess I'm not a big fan of it. I've, I've, I'm not I'm not a big supporter of 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 that. Maybe as a go to, I would say. Um, you know, maybe as part of a process, but I don't know. I think sometimes, or even sometimes in, 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 I've seen in charismatic circles where we get, we can be a little too fixated on, on, on naming the demon and casting and binding it or, or naming the lie and casting and binding it. That if it's, if, if it becomes too much of a focal point in and of itself, then I think it becomes a distraction away from the, the, the bigger work here. So, so the way you've articulated in the book, um, I support, I think, it as a as a part of a more holistic um, kind of unearthing and understanding of what's happening for sure. But sometimes I see these things kind of played out in a way where they become um, that that becomes the thing. And if you just take care of that, then then it's going to take care of all this other stuff. And, and, I've, and I haven't seen that in my experience and I haven't been a fan of that. Um, so just throwing that out there. <laughs> sure. I mean, I can only respond. That yeah. I've, I've had a number of experiences actually throughout the brotherhood. Uh, I think many of the brothers can speak. We've had many experiences where I, I wouldn't say it's, yeah, we certainly don't present it as kind of like a one size, I mean, a, a one-time thing or, mm-hmm. you know, like you identified this spirit or this line, it's all, everything changes. But I would say more it's um, yeah, to recognize that certain, uh, certain false assumptions have a big influence on us mm-hmm. and uh, the intentional de- decision to renounce and reject it um yeah and it 
as it mentions in the book, it goes to the, the grace of baptism that you have authority uh, through your baptism to reject anything that is of an evil or spiritual nature. Obviously, it, you have to activate the will. Obviously, you have to keep choosing against it. Uh, but there is kind of that spiritual battle component. So uh, whether or not the, the Neil Lozano approach is something that you find particularly uh, useful in your own either personal life or in, in your ministry work, um, I can only say that we've, we've seen a lot of people be very blessed by it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it, when, it, when it's effective, because I think it, it, it's, again, the process of healing shame isn't, or the process of healing anxiety is that you, don't, you can't outthink it. The, mm-hmm. way, the way anxiety works is that it, it, it hijacks, it's kind of funny, it's, anxiety kind of is its own addiction in that it, it hijacks the same systems um, that get activated with everything we've been talking about. And so the way it kind of works is that you, you have a fear and shame is, shame is a social anxiety, so that's why I'm kind of parsing the two together. And then you, you think that the only thing you can do is to, is to think. So you start thinking about all the potential scenarios or situations or threats that are being activated. Um, and so then we, we can't, and at some point we get unreasonable. And so we can't outthink or outlogic ourselves. Um, and so the, the process of healing anxiety or healing shame is, is, um, is really, a, it's, it's a right brain activity. It's more of an affective experience that one needs to happen. One needs to, to calm down in the way we calm down is again, through mindfulness exercises or in social engagement, being around people who love us. Um, and, and I think to me, when I've seen these things become effective, I think that's the reason why they are is because we, 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 we open ourselves up to trusted others. And when we, when we share um, a particular vulnerability in the context of a, of a loving community, I think that in and of itself is incredibly healing. Um, and so if we're able to have a particular kind of question or, or longing or something, and we, we bring that out into an environment where people are going to be supportive of us, um, I think that that to me, I think is the pathway of healing when it comes to anxiety or shame or any of these things, because then, because then, then our experiences, and this is my attachment theory kind of kicking in, you know, and then at that point, we, 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 we feel that we're loved. We feel that we're, we're we have a secure base. Um, and it kind of begins the process of being able to start rewiring some of these, you know, um, fears or, 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 um, what's the word I'm looking for here? Um, heightened sensitivities to, to, to particular threats, I would say, mm-hmm. um, yeah. you know, which, which of course are certainly lies, you know, sometimes the lies that we experience are things that are, you know, threats against our, our well-being, our, our, our sense of self, I should say. Um, and so, so yeah, for sure, we need to be aware of the truth. We need to embrace the truth. Um, absolutely. In, in, in a loving context and a loving environment, uh, I think that that is what, what brings about the greatest sense of security and peace um, in people's mm-hmm. lives. So I'd be willing to settle for a Catholic both end. <laughs> <laughs> and I think I could also say, uh, you know, point well taken in terms of the charismatic renewal, uh, you know, early stages of it, there was kind of a sense, if I'm hearing you correctly, of, uh, you know, well, God, I could just fix it, you know, or, you know, this yeah. dramatic moment and it all, it's all better now. And I've been very blessed to, you know, hear from some of the, the, the long-term Catholic uh, charismatic leaders who, who admit, wow, okay, that, that was naive, you know? Uh, and I don't diminish in any sense the power of God's grace to work in a, in a particular case, a situation, rejecting a lie, overcoming a particular stronghold of the enemy. But uh, I agree that there is also this other element, which is essentially like the Lord has given many means of healing uh, mm-hmm. the body and the soul. So in that sense, 
none of what we're talking about precludes any of the, the genuine avenues of healing and grace. And yeah, ultimately relationships is what it's about. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think even of what we were talking about with mercy, you know, it, it really is like, you know, because you can hear holiness and you could think, oh, look, you know, that, that just seems like an overwhelming and, and difficult thing. But when you realize that this pattern of mercy and justice kind of going to confession, coming out, all the things, like you're getting to know God, mm -hmm. his awesome mercy and his powerful justice. And so like, yeah, all of this is part of the healing is like, I get to know God. I'm surrounded by a loving community. I experience direct power and intervention in certain aspects of my struggle, but also it's just kind of like, I'm living this. And in the process, I'm getting holy, even though I, mm -hmm. lo and behold, I had no idea that I was making progress. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. Yeah, no. And, and I remember speaking of the charismatic, you know, pressing the charismatic renewal just a little bit. I mean, yeah. I always found that the brotherhood was um, pretty moderate, I guess, or pretty balanced when it came to kind of the, the charismatic renewal. It wasn't until after I graduated and kind of experienced some more particulars or in depths of the healing prayer movement and things of the nature that just really was like, whoa, this is, this is just bad, bad news. And so I've seen, I've seen some of this stuff go, go off the rails. Um, yeah, but, we've, we've seen that too. But just kind of like a funny story, I guess it isn't, you know, when, when we were, when I was in college, I remember Brother Allen took us up to uh, the St. Louis, it was like the Jesus 2000 Charismatic Renewal Conference. Was like, hey, yeah. That's right, you were there. And mm -hmm. uh, uh, Brad Hoffman, you're gonna talk, who- You're going to talk about the dancing monk, aren't you? I, I am not actually, <laughs> I forgot, I forgot, that's right. I forgot about the dancing monk, that's hilarious. <laughs> the whole group was just like, what is that monk What is that to <laughs> <laughs> the Holy Spirit had taken over. <laughs> no, I was going to talk about Brad Hoffman. Brad, who who uh, lost his leg in, in, when he was 10 in, in an accident. Um, well, well, I just remember walking around the convention center in St. Louis, and he has a limp, obviously, because he has a prosthetic leg. Prosthetic leg, but he had a um, he had jeans on, obviously, because he doesn't wear shorts, just to, just for just you know for what privacy reasons. And everybody was like, you know, brother. Brother, you got you got that limp, you know. We pray for you. We pray for you right now. We pray Jesus bring healing to you right now, you know. And yeah. uh, and Brad finally, like, like the end of the day, he was patient and kind with everybody. But after like the hundredth person or something like that, mm -hmm. you know, to offer this to him, the next unsuspecting bystander to come up to him and and said, "Brother, I just want to be praying for you, you know, right now." He and Brad just Brad just had enough of it. He pulls up his pant leg and he exposes, you know, the prosthetic leg, and he says, "Well, if the yeah. good Lord wants to sprout a new one, I'll take it," you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we both know Brad well. That is, there's so much more joy to that than anything you realize listening in. That's 100% Brad. <laughs> but, but, but just this, that, that it, it, but he, he was right, though. I mean, it was like, yeah, yeah. There's, there's other miracles, I guess is kind of my point. You know, there's other miracles at work here uh, beyond, beyond just uh, the, 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 the particular healing or the particular cessation of this thing. That there's, there's, and I think this is, and this is where hopefully I want to lay in our episode, and, and hopefully this is the point we're getting at. There's a great mystery at work here. There's a great mystery of grace, a great mystery of suffering, a great mystery of grace um, that we don't understand, and we don't know what the real miracle is until until it's all said and done. We don't know what graces God gives to us in the midst of our suffering, um, and why He allows certain things to happen. We don't have control or questions or, or, or answers to all of those particular questions. But but we do believe in his in his providence, and we do believe in his in his love and in his mercy and in his goodness. We do believe in in, in scriptures and in tradition and in the Bible, and in what the best 
the best path forward is for humanity. Um, and if we, and that these rules or these morals aren't just arbitrary, um, but there is a profound truth to them. And so, you know, the bar is, of course, set high. And, and, and I think this is the way Bishop Barron says it, you know, is that God's, God's law is severe, but his mercy is severe. And so the mystery is that while the bar, of course, is, is very high in terms of what is being asked of us to achieve human perfection, at the same time, we are never alone in that journey. And so when we stumble, when we, over, when we, when we interact with a, with a sin or a habit, um, that, that grace is real, grace is present, and, um, and God, of course, will guide us if we remain close to him, regardless of what happens to us. Amen. Okay. <laughs> well, Brother Sam, you know, as we bring this thing to a close, if people want to get the book or have any other questions for you, uh, where can they get it and, and how, can they, uh, how can they get a hold of you? Well, I am uh, on social media to the best of my ability. So you can find me on <laughs> Facebook or on Instagram. Uh, so that, that's probably the, the easiest way to reach me. Uh, and, uh, or you could also reach me through the Brotherhood website, brotherhoodofhope.org. Uh, and then the book itself is uh, through a publisher, Biani Vocations. And uh, yeah, I can, I can send you the, uh, the, the website or the website. I got it. I'll link to it in the show notes but just give me an opportunity to, uh, to, to, to speak it. So, yep. all right, fantastic. And final question, ask all my first time guests, brother Sam, what gives you hope? What gives me hope? Uh, well, I have to admit right now, since it's advent, uh, the Lord and just the sense that, uh, he's coming and you can look at the world and be discouraged, or you can say, okay, this is part of the plan. And the Lord isn't wringing his hands somewhere way off in heaven, worrying what to do. He is executing his plan. And so, you know, we can put our hopes in anything that's finite, but that will ultimately disappoint. But the promise of the Lord is true and he is executing his plan and my hope is in him. Amen. That is beautifully said. Well, praise the Lord. All right. So we are wrapping this up now. The first time I've had a brotherhood of hope on the Always Hope podcast. Uh, so a lot of hope going around. So <laughs> thank you, Brother Amen. Sam. I appreciate you, you joining me on the show. Very grateful. God bless you. All right. Well, this brings our show to a close today. I pray that it's helped you in some way to be able to think about the cycle of an addiction or a compulsive habit that you may have in your life and being able to, to just kind of grow in knowing where you should intervene and, and how to be able to break the cycle that so often grips us in our hearts. So please check out Brother Sam's book, Clean Break. And if this episode has helped you or you think it can be of benefit to a family member or friend, please go ahead and share it. It's easy to do through Spotify or through Apple. Any of those platforms easily allow you to text it or to share it on any of the social media platforms. But if you have a comment, please leave it also on Apple or on Spotify. Or if you'd like to join the conversation, please follow me on Instagram, LinkedIn, or Facebook at Dr. Mario Sacasa. God bless you guys. Have a great day. Thank you.